like for you to turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. Tonight's uh, sermon uh, happens to deal with the, the role of the parents. And so I guess that what you, the kids can do is either uh, plan for, <laughs> get ready for when they are parents or they can grade theirs uh, with this sermon. Chapter 6, verse 4, And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the nurture, that is, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's nurture and admonition in the King James, one that you're probably most familiar with. I think it probably, uh, sometimes we want to, we, we could ask, why do we study on you know, study a topic like the marriage, marriage and the home. Well, it is obvious that the people of God are called to be different, to be distinct, to be different from the world. We're called to have different marriages and different families, different lifestyles from the world. In, Ephesians, in the book of Ephesians, Paul says that we're not to walk as the heathen walk. We're to walk in love and not in lust. We're to walk in light and not in darkness. We're to walk in wisdom and not in foolishness. We're to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. And that the children of God, the people of God, are to live selfless lives. Not every man for himself, but every man for each other, every one for each other controlled by the Spirit of God. And from the very beginning, when God called out this nation of Israel to himself, this family, it was obvious that he meant for that people, his people, to be separate from the world. And he describes that or defines that for us in the book of Leviticus. I want you to turn to that briefly. It's the third book in the Bible, Leviticus chapter 18. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. And in this passage, in this 18th chapter of Leviticus, he's, he's describing how his people are to be different from, from the world from which they came. Beginning verse 3 says, You shall not do what is done in the land of Egypt where you live, nor are you to do what is done in the land of Canaan where I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You are, not to, you are to perform my judgments and keep my statutes to live in accord with them, for I am the Lord your God. So you shall keep my statutes and my judgments by which a man may live if he does them, for I am the Lord. Now I'm convinced that unless we understand God's standard for the family, and unless we put these standards in operation in our homes, then we will soon have nothing left to pass on to the next generation. You say, oh, that would never happen in America. Yes, it could. It may surprise you to know that Russia was once a Christian nation. It was the heart of the Eastern Orthodox Church. And Eastern Europe was at one time a Christian area where the Eastern Orthodox Church reigned supreme. 
it may surprise you to know that once China was a flourishing Christian nation. When Hudson Taylor, for example, was a missionary there, Christianity flourished in that land. And those who know something about the rise and fall of these nations will say that at the heart of the demise of these nations, as far as a Christian influence, was the breakdown of the home. There's an old Chinese proverb that says, one generation plants shade trees, the next generation gets the shade. My question tonight is, how many shade trees are you planting? I think of what we are seeing, and I'm no prophet of doom, although I have been uh, you know, described as somewhat negative. What I, I think of what we some, we're seeing is the corruption of God's design for children in a worldview where children are seen as a liability. One survey that Time Magazine uh, did in 1979, this will blow your mind, found that 70% of all the parents surveyed, you may have been asked this, 70% of all the parents surveyed said they would not have children if they had it to do over again. Now I'm sure they weren't talking about yours. There is an organization today called NON, N-O-N. It stands for National Organization of Non-Parents. What is God's intention for the world? I think that God's intention is that man understand that he's the source of every child, that children are a heritage and a reward from the Lord, that they are a source of joy, that they are a blessing that God has given man as a grace benediction to life and that the more children you have the more potential you have for happiness if you raise them if you raise righteous children if you don't raise righteous children you have chaos now what do you what, what do you think is the cause of the present chaos in raising children I'm going to just share some things with you. If you have a pencil, you, you might want to jot some of these down. A few years ago, the Houston Police Department put out a leaflet entitled How to Raise a Juvenile Delinquent, guaranteed that if you followed their pamphlet, it would be 99% effective. Five things. Begin with infancy to give your child everything he wants. Number one. We're talking about how to raise juvenile delinquents, 99% effective. Begin from infancy to give your child everything he wants. Number two, when he, when he picks up bad words, laugh at him. Number three, never give him any spiritual training. When he's 21 years old, he can decide for himself. Never give him any spiritual training. Number four, avoid using the word wrong. It will give them a guilt complex. Number five, pick up everything he leaves lying around so he will experience, he will be experienced in throwing responsibility on everybody else. Now, I, I, I have a book in, that Paul Meyer's written. Uh, Paul Meyer is the Christian psychiatrist. In fact, Minerith and Meyer, I believe, are the two greatest Christian psychiatrists. 
practicing in, in, in this country. I, I firmly believe that. You see them on television, on Channel 7. They're on Cope a lot. They've written several books. Happiness is a Choice is one of them. Paul Myers written a book, wrote it in 1977, called Christian Child Rearing and Personality Development. And he lists some. Now, I'm just, I, 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 I copied out of that book. And, I, and I, I know this is kind of redundant to read these, but I, I, I want to share them with you. How to develop a drug addict or an alcoholic. Number one, spoil him. Give him everything he wants if you can afford it. Number two, when he does wrong, you may nag him, but never spank him. Number three, foster his dependence on you so drugs or alcohol can replace you when he's older. Number four, directed primarily to the, to the mother, protect him from your husband and from those mean teachers who threaten to spank him from time to time. Soothe them, if you wish. Number five, Make all his decisions for him, since you are a lot older and wiser than he is. He might make mistakes and learn from them if you don't. Number six, criticize his father openly so your son can lose his own self-respect and confidence. Number seven, always bail him out of trouble so he will, take, so he will like you. Besides, he might harm your reputation if he gets a police record. Never let him suffer the consequences of his own behavior. Number eight, always step in and solve his problems for him so he can depend on you and run to you when the going gets tough. Number, number nine, just play it safe. Be sure to dominate your husband and drive him to drink too if you can. <laughs> number ten, Take a lot of prescription drugs yourself so that taking non-prescription drugs won't be a major step for him. How to develop a homosexual. Start out by using the 10 easy steps on how to, make an, you know, how to develop an alcoholic. You use the above. Number two, show love for your son by protecting him very carefully. Don't let him play ball with the other boys. He might get hurt. Don't let him be a newspaper boy or a patrol boy. He might catch the cold, you know, out in the bad weather. Number, th number three, be sure he spends a lot of time with you, little with his father. How to develop a sociopathic criminal. I'm sure you don't want to know this. Start out by the ten steps of how to develop a drug addict or an alcoholic. Number two, never spank your child. Never punish physically. Spanking is a thing of the past. In fact, it's against the law in some nations. Never spank them. Third, let your child express himself in any way he feels. He'll learn from your example how to behave. He doesn't need any discipline. Number four, don't run his life. Let him run yours. Let him manipulate you and play on your guilt if he doesn't get his way. Number five, don't enforce the household rules if there are any. That way he'll be able to choose the laws of society that he'll break when he's older. Number six, don't bother him with chores. Do all his chores for him. Thus, he can be irresponsible when he's older. 
and to always blame others when his responsibilities don't go get, get done right. Number seven, be sure to give in when he throws a temper tantrum. He might hit you if you, if you don't. Don't ever cross him when he's angry. Number eight, if it, it will help if you choose to believe his lies. You may even want to tell some yourself. Number nine, I love this, criticize others openly and routinely so he will realize that he's better than everybody else. Number 10, give him a big allowance and don't make him do anything for it. He may get the idea he'll have to work, he'll have to work for a living later on if you make him work for it. If he does anything worthwhile around the house, be sure to pay him richly for each and every good deed. You wouldn't want him to think that a, that a feeling of responsibility is its own reward. Well, there's a lot of those. I'm sure that's enough. So much for that. The submission of the parents, verse 4. Let's look at that. And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Now this is the top side of the authority and submission standard that upholds the family. We said at the very beginning of this discussion that, that there is mutual submission and authority. And it is true that the parents are to lead and to rule, but also they are to submit to their children, children with loving spiritual authority that does not abuse them. So let's look at that, what that means. Let's look at the parents defined. It says, you fathers. The word there translated fathers is the word pateria. Uh, sometimes translated fathers, other times it's translated for parents, encompassing both the father and the mother. For example, in Hebrews, the 11th chapter, verse 23, Moses was hidden by his parents in the bulrushes, and the same word is used there. So Paul is calling on both the father and the mother. You can't leave your child to just to develop on his own. You are the key to that child's life. Depravity will continue unless that child is broken by authority and a loving environment of discipline. I need to say that again. We are, mar we are born not with an evolutionary tendency up that, that moves upward. We are born with a tendency to move downward, and depravity will continue unless the child is broken by accountability and authority and a loving environment of discipline. Now, Paul Meyer in this book says, that the key to right parent-child relationship is involves, in, involves five things. The key to a good child-parent relationship involves these five things. One, love. Genuine love that exists between the parents and from the parents to the child. The second is discipline. The third is consistency, where parents stick together using the same rules and consistently enforcing these rules. Fourth, an example. 
You should not expect your children to live up to a standard you're not willing to live up to yourself. No parent should expect his child to live up to a standard that parent's not willing to accept for himself. An example, fifth, that the man is, at the, is the head of the house. The man is the head of the house. And Paul Meyer says the vast majority of neurotic people, both children and adults, grew up in homes where the father was either weak or absent. The majority of neurotic people, both children and adults, have grown up in homes where either the father was absent or was weak. So he's calling on father and mother. These are the instructions. There are two instructions. There's a negative instruction. There's a positive. The negative is this. Provoke not your children to anger. The word provoke there means to make mad or to make angry. Sometimes it refers to a lashing open rebellion. It's really the picture of, the, of an animal that is backed up in a corner and how it acts when it's hemmed up in a corner. He says, parents, do not provoke your children to anger. Sometimes that anger is an internal smoldering. Now the question is, and I've read this before, looked at this all my life as a pastor, how do you do that? I mean, sure you're going to get, you know, you're, you're going to make your kids angry. How do you violate this instruction, negative instruction? How, many, how do you provoke them to anger? Some suggestions. I want you to write these down. Number one, the way you provoke them to anger is overprotection. You fence them in. You never trust them. You never give them opportunity to develop independence. Little by little, they need to face the world and learn how to deal with it, but you won't allow that. You provoke them. You fence them in. You overprotect them. Second, favoritism. You prefer one child over another and express that. You know the biblical example that Isaac favored Esau over Jacob, but Rebekah, his wife, favored Jacob over Esau and all the problems that existed as a result of that. Don't ever say, I wish you'd be like your sister. Oh, how often I heard that. I wish you'd be like your sister. I wish you'd just be like your brother. He always makes A's, you always make C's. Why can't you be, or, you know, Always hearing, oh, I wish you were just like the sweet little old so-and-so. Third, push achievement. Shove your child so hard to fulfill the goals you never accomplish that you destroy them. Push them so hard that they have no sense of accomplishment. Nothing is ever quiet enough. So that when they get up on this rung and they think they've reached the top of the ladder, you say, well, there's a couple more for you to climb. It's always, I, well, I got this B. Well, you should make an A. Never quite enough pushing them so they have no sense of accomplishment. Fourth, 
discouragement. Discouragement is achieved by never giving approval, reward, or honor. Never giving approval, reward, or honor. For every time you tell a child what he has done wrong, you ought to tell him what he has done right. Discouragement. Five. Failure to make sacrifices. Make him feel like an intrusion. Let him hear you say, yeah, we'd like to go out with y'all, but you know, we got the kids. That always make you feel good. There's a lot of things we'd like to do, but you know, we got these kids here. Let them know that there are a lot of things you like to do, but they are around. Number six, failure to allow for childishness. I'm just letting, I'm talking to myself tonight. I'm just letting you listen in. Failure to allow for childishness. Be sure if they do anything that isn't mature, adult, or intellectual, that you put them down for it. Make sure that everything they do is perfect. Drive them to perfection. Don't ever let them make a mistake. Number seven, neglect them. I've been a lot with a lot of men when they died. I've never heard a man say, I wish I'd spent more time with my business. I have heard some men say, I wish I'd spent some more time, more time with my family. A man, a pastor heard a little boy talking to his friend across the backyard fence, and he, he asked, the preacher's kid asked this little boy to come out and play, go come across and play. He said, no, nah, my dad's going to play catch with me. Preacher's kid said, My dad doesn't have time to play catch with me. He, he has, he's always playing with somebody else's kid. Needless to say, change that man's ministry. I read Abby and Dear Ann just like you do, you know, the patron saint. Did you read this the other day? Listen to this. I remember talking to my friend a number of years ago about our children. Mine were five and seven then, just the ages when their daddy means everything to them. I wish I could have spent more time with my kids, but I was too busy working. After all, I wanted to give them all the things I never had when I was growing up. I love the idea of coming home and have them sit on my lap and tell me about their day. Unfortunately, most days I came home so late that I was only able to kiss them goodnight after they had gone to sleep. It's amazing how fast kids grow. Before I knew it, they were 9 and 11. I missed seeing them in school plays. Everyone said they were terrific, but the plays always seemed to go on when I was traveling for business or tied up in a special conference. The kids never complained, but I could see the disappointment in their eyes. I kept promising that I would have more time next year. But the higher up the corporate ladder I climbed, the less time there seemed to be. Suddenly, they were, no young, they were no longer 9 and 11. They were 14 and 16, teenagers. I didn't see my daughter the night she went out on her first date or my son's championship basketball game. Mom made excuses, and I managed to telephone and talk to them before they left the house. I could hear the disappointment in their voices, but I explained the best I could. 
Don't ask where the years have gone. Those little kids are 19 and 21 now and in college, and I, don't, I can't believe it. My job is less demanding, and I have finally some time for them. But they have their own interests, and there's no time for me. To be perfectly honest, I'm a little hurt. It seems like yesterday that they were five and seven. I'd give anything to live those years over. You can bet your life or seven or eight or whatever it is, withdrawing love. Tell them that you don't love them. You don't have to tell them that verbally. Or tell them, Daddy won't like you if you do that. Number nine or eight, whatever it is. The way you provoke them to anger is with bitter words and cruel physical punishment. Shove your weight around. The things you say and the tone of your voice, bitter words and cruel punishment, that's how you provoke them to anger. Do not provoke them to anger is the, is the negative instruction. And then there is the positive one that's this, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now we need to find out what that word nurture means and what that word admonition means. Discipline instruction is the passage, is the New American Standard. The word for nurture or discipline means training or learning. It means to nurture them or to train them by rules and regulations enforced by reward and punishment. Of course, always in the context of love or grace. Now let me say that again in case you missed it. The word means training or learning. It means to nurture or to train the child by rules and regulations enforced by rewards and punishment in the context of love. What does the word admonition mean? Admonition is not what you do but what you say to a child. So that nurturing is what you do, admonition is what you say. It means counsel. It means verbal instructions with a view to correct. It means to sit down with a child and tell him and talk to him, to counsel him. For example, if you keep doing that, you're going to end up with a problem and describe that, explain that, counsel. So here is the positive, that you bring them up, train them with enforced regulations, with rewards and punishment in the context of love, but you counsel them and give instructions, you tell them why, you explain, you spend time, you talk. One pastor said, my family is all gone now, my kids are grown. But if I had it all to do over again, I would do these nine things. I want you to hear this and then we're through. Because it might, be, might not be too late for some of us. He said, I would love my wife more in front of my children. I would love my wife more in front of my children. If 
I had it all to do over again. Second, I would laugh with my children more. At our own mistakes and at our joys, I would laugh more with my kids. Third, I would listen more, even to the littlest kid, even to the littlest child. I would listen more. Third, fourth, I would be more honest about my weakness, never pretending that I was perfect. I would admit when I was wrong. I'd be more honest about it. Number five, I would pray differently for my family. Instead of focusing on them, I would focus on me. I would pray differently for my family. That, 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 goes, that, that works for kids. I, I would change the way I pray. I, instead of praying for them, that, that God would change them, I'd pray that God would change me. Number six, I would do more things together with my children. And the father says, son, I love you, and we're going to go fishing. You bet, we're going to go fishing. So here's the little boy out on the driveway, day after day, he's practicing his casting. Day comes, Saturday comes, he's out there practicing his casting. Because daddy said, we're going to go fishing. We're sure going to go fishing. They never go fishing. Not the only time he takes him anywhere is down to the store right quick someday. I do more things with my kids. Number seven, I would encourage them more. I would bestow more praise on them. Why is it so hard for us to praise our children? It's not hard to criticize them. It's not hard to find what's wrong. It's why is it so hard for us to praise them? Number eight, I would pay more attention to little things like deeds and words of thoughtfulness. And then the ninth, I would share God more intimately with my family. Every ordinary thing that happened in every ordinary day, I would use it to direct them to God. I would share God more intimately with my family. Every ordinary thing that happened in every ordinary day, I would use it to direct them to God. I would use, them, I would use it in that teachable moment. Now, it sure is easy for us to say, if I had it do over again, I would do it differently. The question is, you, some of us don't have it. We don't have to do it over again. We, we, we're just now doing it. Now, would you do it differently? That's the question. Fathers, parents, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. For one generation, plant shade trees. The other generation gets the shade.
sure is a sobering question. What kind of shade will our kids get? Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you'll take these simple truths and help us to apply them while we can. For I pray in Jesus' name. I wonder tonight, is there someone present who would like to receive Christ as his Savior, her Savior? We want to give you an opportunity to do that. Maybe someone tonight would like to come place their life in the church. We encourage you. We pray for you. We, we would love to have you. Or maybe there's just, you know, there's a parent, a mother, a father. There's a, there's a child who just, you know, would like to make some changes. Not, you know, just changes from within, beginning you know, with an act of public repentance, public commitment. Maybe just to come and say, I, I, I want to make a recommitment to those kinds of things you talked about in my home. We, we would really pray that you do that while we stand and sing.